today on Act News Daily. You know, and I suppose now it's probably been four or five years ago where it seemed like a lot of the producers out there on the ag side of the business. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on another Ag News Daily podcast for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday podcast. And Mike, if you can't already tell, I've got a little bit of the hiccups going on for today. And I've tried to hold my breath. It doesn't work for me. I swear. Yeah. you got to be careful with the day drinking, Delaney. It's going to sneak up on you. You're going to have hiccups in the podcast. And uh, everybody's going to know what you're up to today. I haven't been day drinking today, actually. Sure. Actually, I've sure, been. Sure, says the girl with the hiccups at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I, well, I, ha- I have been out and about with the Iowa Pork Producers Association today. We visited a pork producer near, I don't know if it's Breda or Breda. How do you pronounce it? Just, Breda. Okay. Breda. Breda, Iowa, north of Carroll. We had a really good pork tenderloin for lunch, and I'm sleepy, and I'm thinking that that's part of the reason for my hiccups hiccups today. Yeah, that or a whole bunch of bush light, Delaney, will also give you hiccups. you got to be careful. I'm not a big bush light drinker, Mike, so that wasn't on my menu for today. All right. Well, I'm going to talk for a little while, so you can put your mic on mute, hopefully hold your breath, and get through the hiccups. And I want to talk about the report from the USDA that came out earlier today. We had the December WASDE report. We talked to Ted Seifert about it yesterday in our Market Monday session. And we didn't really expect a whole lot of fireworks from this report. It's typically kind of a snooze fest. And this year was no different. Um, Really, the only semi-shocking piece of information, and I say semi-shocking because we reported this earlier this week um, on data from China, but the USDA did raise China's soybean production to 18.1 million metric tons, which is up a full million metric tons from its uh, previous forecast because China planted so many more acres of soybeans this past year. Um, So that was kind of the one thing that that jumped out. Here in the U.S., very little uh, changed. Yeah, really, all U.S. ending stocks production and use figures were unchanged. It seems like uh, it was somewhat bullish for wheat, though, Mike. It was, which is kind of bizarre. Um, ah, bizarre. So basically what they reported on was that we do have crop issues in other countries. Australia's got its drought. We've got uh, continued trouble in the Black Sea region, all these key wheat-growing areas. But USDA didn't reduce those acreages or those harvest numbers nearly as much as the trade was anticipating. So, yeah, it was bullish. I mean, it was definitely beneficial. Wheat, wheat was up four cents on the, uh, on the open, or excuse me, once the report was announced. Uh, we ended up just up a quarter penny in the Chicago nearby contract, so not a whole lot ended up happening. But they did say, USDA said, we expect to see larger U.S. wheat exports going forward, which that was the bullish news. All right, Mike. Well, I think my hiccups are gone, so I'm ready to take over now and share the big news that was on my headlines for today, and that's on the USMCA front, Mike. We have seen House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other Democratic leaders basically give the green light on Tuesday to a revised USMCA agreement. We also saw Mexico sign off on their ratification of the agreement, and so now, as I understand it, we are going to see the floor vote on this new pact or not new pact but on this ongoing pact trade pact and it sounds like 
They don't have a firm timeline in place, but they're hoping it could be as early as sometime next week to get this voted on. And I didn't have time to double check this today, but I had somebody ask me the other day, is December 15th of this year when NAFTA, old NAFTA falls out of place and then we don't have a trade agreement standing with Mexico and Canada at all? I don't believe so. I think that was the threat. I think okay. as of December 15th, President Trump can pull us from NAFTA at any time. The, uh, the six-month wait is up, but until he actually tears up the agreement, uh, NAFTA stays in place, or, or we remain a part of NAFTA, I, I suppose is the way to look at it. Okay. So, Delaney, yes, uh, they've agreed on a USMCA. It sounds like the House, we don't know when they're going to put it to a vote, but it sounds like they are pushing Pelosi from the left as well as from the right. So there is the possibility that before the Christmas recess, we could get a vote in the House. However, did you see the news from Mitch McConnell's office from the Senate chamber? No, let's hear it. So on trade deals, we need approval from both the House and the Senate. And yes. the Senate was going to vote for it regardless. It's predominant, you know, it is a majority Republican body. They, they by and large like uh, the USMCA. So it wasn't ever a risk that it wouldn't pass. The challenge is McConnell came out and he said, we are not going to talk impeachment. We are not going to talk USMCA for the remainder of this year. They want to focus on defense reauthorization. And one other thing that I've forgotten because it, it you know, wasn't anything I follow religiously. So USMCA will not be going into effect prior to whenever they get back from their Christmas mm -hmm. break. All right. Well, I thought we had good news to report, and then I guess not so much. We right? do. We've got 50% good news. Right. Well, I guess it was. Which is an F. And it was, and it was, we got the harder piece of the puzzle potentially solved. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's the story here. The idea that now this can get through the House is the big win. That was always the concern. The Democrats were not thrilled with some of the labor provisions, not thrilled with some of the IP provisions. Okay, we put all that aside. Now we know it's going to pass there. Now it, it literally is just a waiting game until both the House and the Senate put it up for a vote. Another bill that we are going to see the House take up today, specifically the House Rules Committee, they're voting on the new ag labor legislation ahead of a final house floor vote scheduled for wednesday we of course have talked about this before on the podcast it's going to basically revamp the current h2a visa program and make it easier to get agricultural workers and offer a path to legalization for those workers and it sounds like they're it, it doesn't sound like there's really a clear path ahead for this piece of legislation. It could still spark a heated debate on the floor, and we're really not sure at this point. I, I can't speculate whether or not this is going to pass on the House floor or not. Okay. All right. So it's it's up in the air. It's very much up in the air. Interesting. Well, speaking of up in the air, or rather down on the ground, Brazilian truckers down in Brazil announced they are planning a strike for the 16th of December because diesel prices have climbed to levels not seen since the May of 2018 strike that shut the country down for 11 days. Now, the leader, uh, Marco Franca, he's the leader of Rio de Janeiro Truckers Union, said on his social media page that, quote, Brazil will stop after calling for a show of solidarity from workers in other industries to join in the strike if they are, quote, fed up with high gasoline, 
diesel and kitchen gas prices. So there is currently two competing narratives about this. And remember, December 15th is, uh, no, Monday, next Monday. And um, the truckers are saying we are going to go on strike. Of course, that would severely impede the movement of grain to the ports, and that has been huge for Brazil this year. They have kept the truckers fairly happy, and they have had record exports. This could throw a wrench into that. Could bring some, if it happens, could bring some sales back to the U.S. The reason I say if it happens is because the government of Brazil is saying this is not going to happen. He says it's isolated. Uh, smaller unions are probably going to go on strike. It's not going to be a nationwide movement like it was in 2018. So we'll just have to keep an eye on it. See what happens on the 16th. See if the uh, if the uh, the truckers' unions are are strong enough to really throw a wrench into everything, or if the government's right and it's it's more bark than bite. Well, another thing that we are continuing to watch, Mike, that we haven't yet talked about on today's podcast, but I think is pertinent to talk about is the latest crop progress report, which came out yesterday afternoon. As I mentioned yesterday on the podcast, I was up in the Michigan, Canada, Ontario area yesterday and over the weekend and saw still quite a bit of corn left in the field. And that was just reiterated in yesterday's report and I also want to give just a quick shout out if we do have any new Michigan listeners that I picked up over the weekend for my travels welcome to the podcast thanks so much for tuning in but Mike as I mentioned we saw yesterday with the crop progress reports there's still about eight percent of the nation's corn crop that has not yet been harvested and usually for this time of year USDA has stopped doing these reports because we are a hundred percent harvested the three major states that still continue to have a large portion of their corn crop in the ground is North Dakota with just about 43% of their crop harvested, followed by Michigan and Wisconsin, which are about 74% finished and are accounting for those 8% of the acres still left to harvest this season. Did you did you read North Dakota's harvested yes. percentage? Yes, okay. I did. Sorry, but I just I, I glazed over. I apologize. I tuned out, Delaney Howell, That's which okay. is not something I do very often, especially when you're talking oh, because okay. it's riveting. Thank you. Oh, I tell you, Delaney, I am all out of news. Do you have anything else you want to bring to our readers or our readers, geez, our listeners' attention? The only other thing I just wanted to make a quick mention of, and I think this is everybody is pretty much on board with this. They know this is the case, but uh, USDA has officially announced that they will not decide on a January MFP payment until at least January. They said it's not going to come out before the end of 2019. It's going to be 2020 before they decide whether or not they're going to release that third tranche of the payment. Gosh, I, 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 I don't know why they're doing this. I know their rationale is they're saying they want to see what happens with this trade deal. If we could get a trade deal in place, then I'm guessing we're not going to see the third tranche happen. But at the same time, this is a crucial period where growers are going in, meeting with their lenders, running through pro formas, running through balance sheets, and knowing whether or not they're going to get that third payment and what that payment would be would be phenomenally helpful, especially in a yeah. challenging year like this one. I really wish somebody – and uh, Secretary Purdue, if you're tuning in, let's rethink this. Let's put some certainty out there. Maybe just – I don't know what you could do. There's got to be a compromise so growers can have some certainty when they go in and meet with their lenders and uh, still have some flexibility for Uncle Sam if a trade deal gets uh, gets written. Yeah, and I, I think the other question, too, of that is – Will USMCA, if let's say we hypothetically get that done here in the next couple of weeks, is that enough to 
cancel the third tranche of an MFP payment. Wait, say that again? Is a signage of USMCA a final signage, all parties agree, etc. Is that enough to forego a third tranche of the payment? Oh, no. I, I don't think so because the the rationale behind MFP wasn't the, the trade disputes with Canada and Mexico. It was predominantly the trade dispute with China. And no, so I think, I think, I think that's Canada what and Mexico were a big part of that, too. Well, they were, but they kept doing business with us. You know, China actually cut off purchases, which is what really hammered growers on their uh, their cash bids, especially up in the Dakotas and in the Northern Plains. Well, all through the Pacific Northwest, actually. Um, whereas, you know, Mexico and Canada, they're like, eh, we don't like this uncertainty, but NAFTA was still in place, so they still had very favorable terms to do business with us. Okay. So, I, we'll see. Hopefully Got it's it. not. Yeah, hopefully. Um, all right. Well, we don't know about our MFP payments, but we do know where the markets are at to date. Lenny, what do you say? Should we figure out what is going on in the trade? Let's hear it, Mike. All right. And we've got mixed trade today in the corn market. Positive day for soybeans closed above the $9 level in the January contract. And uh, and wheat, also a positive day. In the corn market, Jan, oh, excuse me, geez. December 2019 corn was down two and a half cents at 363 and a quarter. The March up one and a quarter pennies at 377. In soybeans, January up four cents on the day, as I mentioned, above nine dollars, finished up at 901 and a quarter. The March contract up three and three quarters to finish at 915 and a half. In Chicago wheat, the December contract was up two and three quarter cents at 534 and three quarters. The March contract up a penny, finished the day at 523 and three quarters. Looking over at livestock, we've got mixed trade in the cattle complex with weakness in fat cattle and slight gains in feeder cattle. In the December live cattle contract, it dropped 30 cents at 119.8750. The February down at 17.50 to close the day at 124.75 half. In feeder cattle, the January contract was up 12.5 cents at 141.65. The March up 25 cents to close at 142.52.50. And in lean hogs, the December contract up 47.5 cents, closed the day at 60.47.50. The February up a dollar twenty-seven half to close the day at sixty-seven ninety-seven and a half, and we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry in Class Three milk. The December contract though weakened a little bit, down eight cents at nineteen forty-three. The January took it on a chin, dropped twenty-four cents on the day to close at eighteen forty. Delaney, tell us who are we talking to for today's Tech Tuesday interview. Well, Mike, we had a great conversation with Troy Vosberg of Machinery Scope and Finance Scope to talk about what they're doing in that space. For today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we are joined by Troy Vosberg, who is the Director of Dealer Solutions for Machinery and Finance Scope. Troy, thanks so much for joining us today. You bet. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the appreciate the time. So there's two different entities that we're talking about today, but I assume from the name they're under the same roof, and that is Finance Scope and Machinery Scope. Can you give us a little bit of the background for how those two entities came to be today? Sure, definitely. Uh, you are correct. Um, all under one envelope, basically. Uh, machinery Scope is is the first company. Uh, that was um, founded here probably about six years ago now. And uh, we're, we're based out of Alexandria, Minnesota. 
and uh, were founded uh, by uh, two brothers, Joe and Jake Bryce, um, who both, uh, uh, Jake obviously have quite a bit of industry experience anyway with, um, with a couple of, of large equipment dealers. Uh, and uh, they were really kind of the machinery scope piece uh, is our extended warranty piece of the business. Uh, so we've been able to provide extended warranty options for um, all dealers, uh, regardless of make, basically across the U.S. and Canada. And uh, it was really kind of designed, um, you know, Jake had, had worked with a, a very large uh, Case IH dealer, uh, also a very large uh, John Deere dealer. And um, it was kind of geared to try to find some different sources or alternatives anyway to maybe what the manufacturers had for extended coverages. Uh, so we were, the idea was to try to find gaps and, and not necessarily compete or anything with, with say, uh, you know, a, a John Deere power guard plan or, or CNHI's insurance plan, but to kind of fill in the gaps of maybe where at the end, you know, they may have only gone out so far for coverage and we could fill this or different specific areas, you know, maybe on, on other equipment that, that wasn't covered. So we've kind of been a good complementary plan at that point and 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 that's kind of where all of that started and, and has grown uh fairly well um the the company that that backs the insurance and everything is a company by the name of agguard uh agguard's based just outside of kansas city a little place called tonganoxy kansas and uh and they provide the, the the backing of everything in regards to the insurance uh coverage or the extended warranty coverage and so that's that's basically the the machinery scope piece um, behind the finance scope piece. Uh, it has been something that that we just put together probably about oh year and a half ago I would say um, we we uh, kind of saw the same need in this area as well and saw that um, you know there was there was definitely options uh, for the dealers obviously out there in regards to financing and leasing and and the captive finance companies, when you talk about, say, John Deere Credit or uh, CNHI Capital, um, you know, a CAT Financial. I mean, there's there's just there's a lot of good subvented options. The manufacturer provides money, you know, to help them with programs, et cetera. But then there's a lot of areas um, that kind of get left behind a little bit, depending on what they're looking at doing, whether it's credit, whether it's different kinds of lease options, et cetera. And uh, the other piece of it too is is it when when you look at the dealers now days uh, on the say on the automotive side you know if you ever took a look at kind of how they're structured I mean they they do have a full finance department they run everything through a finance department which kind of separates that transaction from the sale to uh, running it through and having the expertise on that end of it and and if you look into the uh, the implement world or the ag and the construction dealers out there. There really isn't that, you know, I'd say onus on maybe having that sort of department. And and so what happens a lot of times is you've got the salespeople um, or maybe even uh, some of the sales managers, um, higher ups in the company trying to handle this piece of it. And and it's um, it, it can be it can get to be very difficult sometimes. So sometimes it's pretty simple in regards to programs and leases and and they know exactly where to go. But when it doesn't quite fit that bucket you know, what happens at that point. And, and there's definitely some good alternatives out there that a lot of the dealers use. Um, but then again, um, sometimes they don't even fit those. So our idea was to try to possibly become a little bit more of the finance and insurance virtual 
I guess, uh, department for some of these lenders, some of these dealers, excuse me, that that did not have this. Uh, and then if they did, try to provide some extra sources outside of of what they currently have, I guess would be um, probably the, the best overview of, of what Finance Scope is bringing to the table for the dealers at this point. Well, I want to circle back to Machinery Scope. Uh, Troy, I get hundreds of calls a day, it feels like, about companies trying to sell me an extended warranty plan for my vehicle, which is a 78 Lincoln. Are you going to be calling me all the time trying to sell me an extended warranty plan on my Minneapolis Moline G900? No, we actually, we do not necessarily concentrate on the the producer end of it, um, as far as the ag producer or the uh, construction owner at that point. We work strictly with the dealer themselves. So, what we do is we are able to provide the service to the dealer, the coverage to the dealer, and then the dealer will turn around and are able to offer that to uh, the producer or to the commercial business owner, whoever's purchasing it on that side, because uh, we do have options, obviously, on the construction side as well uh, that we can provide coverage on. So one of the things that's kind of unique with us is we we don't, I guess we don't go out there and, and promote this directly to the customers themselves because we, we're very dealer-centric and dealer-driven when it comes down to it. So uh, I know on that end, there's, there's a lot of third-party companies that like to offer a lot of different things when it comes down to it. And we kind of pride ourselves on the experience that we've had. Every single person that's involved with Machinery Scope um, has either had some sort of farm background, have, have been involved in the dealership. In fact, we've even got a couple technicians on staff anyway for warranty claims, et cetera. Um, you know, we, we, wonder, we understand where they're coming from at that dealership standpoint, and, and we want to make sure that, that they're the ones that are able to go out and offer this directly and, and not get sidestepped by all these third-party companies. And Troy, since we've got you on the on the interview today, I, I want to ask too. When you look at just the trends moving forward for equipment, what do you see as the future here, as far as timeliness for people replacing those pieces of equipment that they currently have? Are we going to see people hold on to the combines, planters, tractors that they currently are sitting on, or is it a period here where we're getting ready to trade in some of that equipment? And Delaney, that's a good point. You know, we went through a pretty good period there, you know, and I suppose now it's probably been four or five years ago where it seemed like a lot of the producers out there on the ag side of the business were flipping equipment every year. And and there was a lot of good programs that were coming from the manufacturers, some extremely high residual options that were coming from manufacturers that were driving down payments on leases that really drove a lot of new equipment sales. And what happened, though, is, of course, once you started offering something like that, you were kind of taking a lot of those buyers that were possibly uh, the buyers of the equipment that was coming in from the guys that were trading every year. And you bumped them into the next category and they started buying new equipment. And all of a sudden you had all these year to two year old trades that were sitting there and they were coming in uh, on trade, but yet there wasn't that second round buyer to pick them up. And so it kind of messed up, I think the whole, system a little bit when it came down to it and and all of a sudden these inventories started to creep up higher and higher and we had a lot of dealers sitting heavy and say four-wheel drives and sitting heavy and um, you know combines and and a lot of different uh, high-priced equipment so I I think what what happened there was they realized that you know we needed to start moving some of this stuff again and get that back on track and so a lot of the guys actually kind of held on to 
their equipment instead of trading as often as they were doing because they just couldn't replace those low lease payments again. Um, those programs kind of disappeared a little bit. And so we had a lot of them leaning more towards, hey, let's go ahead and keep this past, you know, our manufacturer's warranty coverage. Uh, and, and that's where we kind of came into play and were able to, you know, cover them for another three years or four years down the road uh, and, and give them a little bit of peace of mind, at least, to still be able to keep that machine. Because, I mean, let's face it, a combine with over a thousand hours is still a pretty good piece of equipment. A tractor over 1,500 hours is still a really good piece of equipment. And so we went through, I think, a little bit of a period there where there were more of them that were kind of sitting on uh, some of this equipment and, and not purchasing. Now, we started to see a little bit more um, of that replacement because I think they eventually get to a point after a few years where they figure, you know, it's just going to cost too much um, when they're bringing it in on off-season inspections, et cetera, to, to probably get it back up and, you know, running the way that they want anyway and, and might work out better to step into a newer piece of equipment. And the other thing I think that you look at now is the, uh, the rapid increase in technology. Uh, on, on the equipment. I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind how quickly things change. So you take a combine or a, a four-wheel drive tractor that was, you know, even three, four years ago, there's so much that's changed on there to increase productivity um, that a lot of these guys feel that I think they feel like they get left behind if they aren't going to step up into that. So I think we've started to see a little bit more uh, of that increase on, on that end, but there's still um, you know, that second round of buyer and, and even third round at that point that, that are looking for coverage on equipment that, you know, I mean, it's going to be five to 10 years old. And, and that's kind of, you know, where we fit in very well um, is, is that equipment that kind of falls outside of what the, maybe the manufacturer provides at that point, And we can still provide powertrain coverage or powertrain plus hydraulic coverage. And, and we provide a very unique service drive program as well, where we're able to kind of help the dealer um, you know, give a reason for a lot of these guys to bring pieces of equipment in in the off season to do the inspections. Once they're they've done this inspection, they qualify for a season of use warranty program that will provide them at that point at a low cost. And so there's there's little things that we're trying to do to obviously enhance that service piece of it as well that I think probably separates us from a lot of the other companies out there. Well, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is we get more and more into online sales. Growers are willing to travel longer distances to get that right piece of machinery. And I know that Machinery Scope offers inspections. Can you talk us a little bit about what that inspection process looks like? Who's, who's doing the inspection? And how can I, as a buyer, know that I'm, uh, I can trust it? Correct. Yeah, we, we do also offer inspection uh, pieces. Inspections are, you know, one of our I wouldn't say smaller piece of, of, of what we do out there, but um, we do have certified inspector uh, on hand that does a lot of the inspections themselves. Uh, we also have uh, some people kind of scattered out there that, that are able to cover different areas if we can't get to it quick enough uh, at this point. And, and one of the things that we do is we always require on our extended warranty coverage before the policy can really be purchased is there has to be some sort of inspection or some sort of uh, reconditioning done on that piece of equipment as it's brought in on on trade, et cetera. And, and you know, we we uh, the dealer always provides us with that inspection form, and you know, we don't require any specific one. We want to make sure we don't change anything that the that the dealer is doing at that point in their service department. But uh, I think it can be assured that that equipment that is getting that coverage is going to be you know very very good equipment. In fact, we've done that for auction. Um, purchases and auction companies before 
to be able to probably give a little bit more reassurance to buyers at that point um, that that uh, piece of equipment is going to be, you know, inspected and, 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 and would qualify, obviously, for extended warranty coverage if they chose to purchase that. Troy, this has been really fascinating, but before we let you go, how can our listeners learn a little bit more information about you, maybe some of the facets we didn't have enough time to chat about today? Where can they get more information? Uh, they can get more information at both of our websites. Anyway, we have uh, our Machinery Scope website is www.machinerysCope.com, and our Finance Scope website is www.financescope.com. And, um, you know, both of those areas, they could come and, and get quite a bit more information on both sides of the company that, like I said, maybe we weren't able to get at yet today. So, Awesome. Well, Troy, thanks so much for joining. You bet. I appreciate the time. Well, it's very cool. It's great to see companies going out there looking for areas where there is a need. Maybe it's something that's been overlooked by other folks in the industry. Maybe it's, as he talked about, just a hole in the coverage that it's still profitable that for them to jump into and uh, you know, hopefully make some growers' lives easier, Delaney. Absolutely, Mike. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. And we try to make growers' lives easier by providing the latest news and information impacting agriculture. So folks, do check us out. Check out our past episodes. If there is anything that you would like to listen to, you can find us on agnewsdaily.com or Facebook and Twitter if you'd like to interact with us on social media. And do check out those other podcasts as well that are also providing the latest news and information and entertainment on globalagnetwork.com. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 